word why. What a curious word. The kind of word that can make us cringe, feel defensive, or even distant. But you know, sometimes why is the key. A key that can unlock so much to our lives. Join me as we explore the why with fascinating contributors to the world. Those that entertain us, inform us, teach us about life, and if we're lucky, inspire the next in all of us. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and welcome to Headroom, a production of Rainlight and co-produced by Old Soul. Let's go. I don't know if it is um, just a part of the journey that I've been on, but I have been spending more and more time with those that are connected to our experience as humans, I think at levels that maybe most of us haven't participated in and and or are interested in in being and becoming more aware. Today uh, is an incredible example of that. We're going to be spending time with Deepak Chopra. He's the founder of the Chopra Foundation. Many of you remember him from the days on Oprah. Uh, a nonprofit entity is the Chopra Foundation for Research on Wellbeing and Humanitarianism, a Chopra Global, uh, a modern day health company at the intersection of science and spirituality is a world-renowned pioneer in integrative medicine and personal transformation. Dr. Chopra is a clinical professor of family medicine and public health at the University of California, San Diego, and he serves as a senior scientist with Gallup Organization. He's the author of over 90 books translated into over 43 languages, including numerous New York Times bestsellers. For the last 30 years, Dr. Chopra has been at the forefront of the meditation revolution and his 92nd book, Abundance, brought by Harmony Books, provides an enlightening guide to success, fulfillment, wholeness, and plenty, offering practical advice on how to cultivate a sense of abundance in times of fear and insecurity. Time Magazine has described Dr. Chopra as, quote, one of the top 100 heroes and icons of the century. Uh, Deepak, this is the first time that we are meeting. I would imagine that someone with your background and level of sensitivity to the human experience um, has a response when you hear something like what the way in which time magazine has described you you've obviously people have known you they they recognize you they have learned from you um tell me what it's like when you think about the arc of your career to be named a top 100 hero by time magazine Rod, actually i don't know how that happens you know it's probably a few people sitting at a table and some he says, you know, like Deepak, so they all agree. <laughs> it happens. I have no idea. Uh, I personally, I am a stage in my life where, you know, I keep switching uh, what uh, I think of myself. And at this moment, you know, I'm turning 76 in, a, in less than a month. I am still trying to figure out what reality is, you know, so there we are. And, and so let, let's take that sort of as our pivot point. Um, I do feel like people, they have a desire to want to understand their self and their self within space and really the human experience. Am I wrong in thinking that we are, there? there's a, a sort of a groundswell of interest in all the things that you've been talking about during your career? It just feels like there are more conversations going on. I don't know if that means we have more questions or if we're more comfortable in asking those questions. Rod, it's very interesting that sometimes very profound truths which have existed for thousands of years, they become so recycled that they become cliches, you know. 
So right now, yes, there's a great groundswell on people using words like awakening and, you know, who am I and what's reality? The Are we living in a sub- simulation? So there's definitely a groundswell that uh, is questioning our everyday experience of what we call matter. I'm kind of um, now convinced through my own personal exploration that if you seriously look for a substance called matter, you won't find it. All you'll find is your own perceptual activity, which is a very narrow band of um, uh, activity within our consciousness. Uh, The Germans call it the Umwelt. So with bits of sensory experience, we can never experience reality. We can only experience our own perceptual experiences, which we end up calling the physical world and even what we call a person. But in the deeper reality, there's no such thing as a person either, because you say, I'm a person, which one? You know, you started as a fertilized egg, then you were a zygote, then you're an embryo, then you're a baby, then you're a toddler, teenager, mature adult, older adult, infirm adult, Alzheimer's adult, and then all the way to dusty death. So what we call a person is not a noun, it's a verb, and it's an activity within human consciousness. We make up stories, and then, you know, we believe our stories, whether it's God or the Big Bang or whatever. Whatever we describe is a model of reality, and it's an incomplete model of reality. Whatever, whether it's the body or the universe, or what the James Webb telescope is finding out there. It's all human constructs based on sensations in human consciousness. And the sensations in human consciousness are modified forms of human consciousness. So everything you look at is actually a modified version of yourself. Now, that seems very abstract, but it's my reality right now. No, I think that that... I think that maybe a number of years ago, that wouldn't maybe hit the audience in the same way that it hits now. And I, and I do think that there is incredible power. And uh, and now my mind is sort of exploding with with thoughts and ideas. So I appreciate you opening that proverbial door for me. I, I want to understand from your perspective, it feels like there would be this very fine line in the world that you are in and the teachings and all of your research and, and experience professionally that we're in a world now, Deepak, of, of branding and personal branding, young kids that have their YouTube channels and thinking about Instagram and all these sorts of things. How do you balance the the public nature of how people understand you as a human being and a contributor to planet Earth while trying to maintain that authenticity? The reason I ask, a number of years, and I've interviewed, I've had the pleasure of interviewing him a couple of times, but uh, Sugato Mitra, he won the uh, TED Talk Prize in 2013 for his uh, hole-in-the-wall experiment in the school in the clouds. And he shared something very intimate with me. He just said that there was a point in time, we were out talking about this subject, and he said that there was about a week where he almost sort of fell into the celebrity nature of his voice, and his wife kind of... <laughs> helped him self-correct in that that in essence wasn't the path for him, that he needed to keep being very aware that when he was doing what he was meant to do with purpose, he was having impact and not to sort of fall victim to, uh, you know, becoming a prisoner of the the moment, the celebrity. How have you done that? And or have there been challenges in successfully navigating your own brand? Well, Rod, you know, if you have a 
If you have a wife who loves you and children who don't take you seriously, that is not going to be a problem ever. <laughs> you know, they always bring you back to your feet. Now, having said that, what is a brand? A brand is a story. It's a myth, you know, and people create that story about you. And if you don't fit into that story, then also they deconstruct you. They like to elevate you. They like to bring you down. That's human tendency. So I don't think one should ever take one's press seriously. So, okay. So with that being said, you do have a new, new venture. Um, we've got Save a Love and we have the Chopraverse. And I've got to say the, the story, I won't use the word brand, but the story of the Chopraverse, I mean, it really pulled me in. Um, so very successful <laughs> on that end of it. Um, but it is so fascinating to me when and i want you to explain for the audience sort of the concept and the way in which this is constructed about um understanding your your place and time and really what home is right which i thought was fascinating um because i i had a recent interview with an individual that is in the web3 space and he made a comment to me that has just stuck and he said that the younger generation is gradually going to get annoyed with the physical world because they are living in a digital environment in ways that you and I did not. So with that as sort of the backdrop, could you sort of walk us into the Chopraverse and Save a Love? And I'd love your thoughts on that concept that maybe younger people are so used to, um, the digital world, that the physical space and whatever, um, you know, sort of uh, challenges that physical space has feels foreign to them because they can manipulate a digital space. Headroom is produced by Old Soul, a one-stop marketing agency that understands the power of brand and nuance. Reach out to my guy, Matt, at Old Soul and supercharge your brand and content strategy. That's Old Soul. Shoot Matt a note at aoldsoul.com. That's A-O-L-D-S-O-U-L.com. And now, back to our guest. It's a very complex question, uh... Rod, because what we call physical is actually a digital experience in consciousness. You know, ultimately, everything boils down to zeros and ones. And you can modulate the zeros and one into any perceptual activity. And then you call that the physical world. So right now, a lot of scientists actually are, are questioning whether the world that we experience is physical at all. You know, it's already a simulation in their words. And we're living in a collective dreamscape. And you and I, as we appear, are already fictional characters in this collective dreamscape. Behind these fictional characters is a formless, um, boundaryless, infinite, multidimensional or zero-dimensional uh, awareness which is modulating itself into sensations, images, feelings, and thoughts, which we then reify as the physical world. Reify is to make something concrete, which is already abstract. So the line between digital reality and physical reality is actually becoming uh, vague as, uh, as John Wheeler, the great physicist said, the boundary of a boundary is boundary less. So the ultimate reality has no boundaries. The boundaries are perceptual. And then we create constructs around that, what we call mind, body, and universe. Again, that sounds very complex. 
But, you know, I created something that I was going to build. And that was a house uh, that basically gave you the experience of different realms of your own experience of existence. So every day we, you know, what we call existence falls into many human categories that we artificially divide. There's the physical reality, the physical body and the physical environment. Then there's the energetic body and the energetic environment. But then we have what wisdom traditions call subtle bodies, intellect, mind, ego, emotions. We have a deeper reality, which is the unconditioned mind and what we call the self, which is without human constructs, a field of joy and and creativity and insight and intuition and imagination and higher consciousness. And then we also have transcendent experiences. So what I was thinking, how can we create a home that is like your extended self? And that was the idea that I originally started with, you know, that I don't think, I think the word environment is kind of misalienating. The environment, what we call the environment is our extended body. The air is our breath, the rivers and waters and the ocean and the clouds are our circulation. The earth is recycling as our body and the stars give us the atoms that are now circulating as carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen in our body. So we have a personal body and we have a universal body. They're all both equally ours. And I said, how can I give people that experience? So, you know, I created this thing in digital space where you can actually have a relationship with different aspects of your own self that you call physical body, energetic body, mind, intellect, ego, the realm of joy and transpersonal um, spontaneity, let's call it pure joy or pure self. And, you know, I worked with an architect who was absolutely, totally brilliant, and she understood this idea. Then, you know, in spiritual traditions, you read in places like the Bible and other places, you know, Jesus says in one of his, uh, you know, spontaneous (laughs) wisdom aphorisms, in my father's house are many mansions. And I said, what the heck is he talking about? Are these real mansions or rooms or are they states of experience? Are they states of awareness? And if they are, then of course we have access to infinite states of awareness. How can we actually give people the experience of that? And then again, in Eastern wisdom traditions, your home is your true self. How can we facilitate in a home that experience where the kitchen gives you um, in every bite the experience of the total universe? Where the, uh, where the bedroom becomes a place for sensuality, sexuality, where, um, where um, the library becomes a place for uh, wisdom and not only learning from books, but experiential wisdom, where, um, you know, the living room becomes a place for intellectual discourse, uh, on and on. You see, there are so many things we can incorporate And then when you look at Eastern wisdom traditions or even some Western cultures, the mixing of architecture, music, and and everything that we call nourishment of the body through the five senses has been incorporated in architectural 
um, uh, buildings since ancient times, whether we look at, you know, places like Stonehenge or the pyramids, or many other places in the world. They're inexplicable by modern uh, architectural standards because the people who uh, were designing them had a deeper experience than, you know, just the ordinary theater of space-time and causality that we call the world. They were delving deeper into the nature of reality than being bamboozled by just a, a little bit of sensory experience. <laughs> So here's what I, I'm so curious about. And you tell me if you think that I'm out of bounds on this, but I feel like in general, maybe Western society, um, I won't distill it down to American society, it can be or lean towards uh, fear-based anxiety, feeling like we have to have sort of a grip. I can't think of maybe of a better word, but a grip on our schedules, our routines, that in essence, we sometimes create a home, a metaphorical home, based on the things that are in our diary or our, our calendar, as opposed to what you are describing. And so if that, if that, if I am, if we're sort of going down that path together, how different is the experience going to be for somebody who is walking into, again, or entering into the Chopaverse in a world where reality may feel suspended to them? based on the way in which they approach their lives. Help me understand that transition because someone with your background it, and others are walking and feel very comfortable, I would imagine. Yeah. So we've created a world where everything is um, based on what we call subject object split. There's me and then there's the rest of the world. It's an artificial uh, split, you know, but it's the basis of all our science and everything. But me and the rest of the universe is one activity. When I resist this idea that it's one activity, that resistance creates what we call stress. We're living in a very stressful world. Now, people say, well, what is stress? How do you define it? It's really the perception of threat. And the perception of threat, whether it's physical threat, or psychological threat, or financial threat, or emotional threat, all comes from resisting the spontaneous flow of our existence. So either you are in resistance to existence or you're in flow. And if you're in flow, once you get into that experience of flow, there's no substitute for it because in the experience of flow, there is spontaneous creativity. There's insight, there's intuition, there's imagination that you wouldn't have if you were constantly in a state of resistance or contraction. So let's go back. I know, and a happy early 76th birthday. I know you said you're going to be 76 uh, later this month or in a month. When you, when you were a young boy, would, would it be fair to describe you as a curious child? Yeah, uh, but, you know, I had parents that were um, uh, very interesting. My mother was one of the most interesting storytellers, and she would entertain me and my little brother, who later became the dean of Harvard Medical School uh, for Education. She actually would tell a story every night leave it at a cliffhanger and say, no, complete the story tomorrow morning. I want to hear the story and I want to have a happy ending. And, uh, but, you know, not just immediately turn it around. It should all have all the challenges, the villains and the bad guys and the good guys and the protagonists. <laughs> so, you know, we learned how to imagine story uh, half 
the story was told to us, half the story was told, the rest was our imagination. So I think that triggered a lot of imagination in me. My father was a cardiologist and he had trained in Britain. He was actually at one time the physician to the queen who just passed away. And so we had a kind of a eclectic mixed uh, um, upbringing, one from a father who's kind of fellow of the Royal College of Physicians and a, is a product of colonialism <laughs> and a mother who was totally into Indian mythological stories. So I think that's what created the background for both me and my brother. So then at what point in your life did you did you feel secure in your own sense of self? Because I think if someone was illustrating your life or animating it, I do. it's almost like there's a, you lack a, uh, a fear maybe that a lot of people or the majority might have in the unknown, that you are an explorer of sorts. And there's a great comfort in that exploration in your sense of self and what you may or may not find. Was there a point through your own journey where you, you felt very comfortable in the unknown? Uh, you know, when I came to the United States immediately after medical school, I was thrust into a very uh, stressful environment. Intern, residence, fellowship, uh, trying to make a living, dealing with uh, patients all the time, seeing a dead person every hour in the emergency room. I had no time to think about all this, and I was totally stressed. Actually, my whole world that I left in India fell apart. And it took me a few years to realize that actually I was uh, basically in a rush to conform, uh, particularly please my colleagues. And there were moments when I felt uh, almost, um, you might say, a sense of shame because I fell into the the pattern, you know, of education at that time. In the 70s, as doctors, we would all smoke. At um, As uh, uh, doctors in training, every Friday, Saturday, we would all get drunk. I remember saving a patient's life, putting an intubate, intubating him, putting a pacemaker, then going outside the hospital to have a cigarette. So, you know, there were pivotal moments where I said, what am I doing? You know, and then suddenly... Uh, you know, I fell into back into my traditional um, memories of, you know, my background, came across a statement from Krishnamurti, a book that he had written, an Indian philosopher, called Freedom from the Known. And it was a beautiful book because he said, the only prison we have is the known. The unknown is where we live and breathe. Every moment this from now is where... We're stepping into the unknown. And if we do it with joy, then we open the door to creativity because the known is the prison of the past. It just keeps recycling itself. It's our prison. That, that is incredibly powerful to think about that. And I appreciate the transparency of sharing that experience. Um, what, what is the hope, Deepak, with... With, with with save a love and your partnerships with utopia when we i mean it feels like we're just at the at the beginning of web3 right this is just the start we're all going to look back you know in decades from now and think oh my goodness <laughs> you know what what was built and and the initial influencers and thought leaders um that contributed to this knowledge 
um, in a digital environment and enhanced our experience as humans? What, what is your, is there an ultimate dream? Is that even a fair question or am I, is there a better question? It's an evolving dream. That's what I would call it. It's an evolving dream. Seva means service. It also means love in action. It is also the translation of an Indian concept called karma yoga. The yoga where you um, help uh, alleviate suffering. So Seva Love was created as the metaverse for service and good. Uh, And then what happened is uh, with Utopia, uh, which was a organization originally founded by uh, Maria Bravo, who's who's a Spanish actress, and Eva Longoria, who worked together. And they have something called the Global Gala Fund. Eva Longoria, and uh, and for the last 20 years, I've supported that Global Gala Fund. They have uh, annual uh, functions where there is money for orphanages and for education in different parts of the world. So it's an ideal partnership because they've been in this whole service domain for 20 years. Um, They're good friends of mine, and they're focused also in uh, in at least envisioning a more peaceful, just, sustainable, healthier, and joyful world. So as we embark on this adventure in the metaverse, what I think it'll also incorporate soon digitally and then in real time, you know, people can design their own homes based on the concepts and design their own mansions based on the concepts. But now there's technology where you, instead of wearing wearables or an iWatch, you can just enter a room and it's monitoring your blood pressure, your heart rate variability, your immune function, your biological age, your stress levels, your breathing rate, your body temperature. And then it can also figure out through algorithms what went wrong. Did you not sleep last night well? or um, because that's also here being monitored or on the walls. And then it can also be, did you have an argument with your wife? Did you eat the wrong stuff? Did you get drunk? All of that through deep learning systems and artificial intelligence and creative putting together of algorithms can actually create an environment where you could have a sustainable biology. Now we have all this new research on anti-aging, signal molecules, DNA self-repair, but how we metabolize the experience of time. So all these things actually once incorporated can create a sustainable biology, extend health span and lifespan. Less than 5% of disease-related gene mutations are fully penetrant, which means most people die of disease and not of old age. And the diseases are in 95% predictable, preventable, and um, and a, a very precisely um, personalized uh, predictability is possible. So I say the future of well-being is precise, it's personalized, it's predictable, it's preventive, it needs your participation. And for the 5% of disease-related gene mutations, of, which are fully penetrant, we soon have gene editing. So theoretically, you could live for a long time and die by choice in meditation. That's my dream. Are you a kid in a candy shop with now the the uh, the evolution absolutely. of AI? Absolutely, absolutely. It's almost like you're a painter that has a whole new set of of brushes, canvases, and and paints and colors that you've never been able to see or experience. 
And remember, Rod, colors are not a property of the physical world. There's no place in the physical world you'll find something called color. You'll find colorless photons. So color is the mystery that gives us the experience of boundaries and shapes. And when we mix it up with sound, sensation, feelings, and thoughts, we call that the physical world, but there is no such thing. We are, in fact, kids in a candy shop learning the mechanics of creation right now. Well, this has been an absolute treat. I have no doubt it's a treat for the audience. I want to make sure people can can find Deepak and everything that he's doing. You can go to uh, seva.love. You can also go to chopraverse.io. Um, we're going to be seeing more and hearing more about this. Again, an early happy birthday to a very young and spry Dr. Deepak Chopra. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. Thanks for taking the plunge into Headroom where we uncover the why behind the what and who impacting our lives. Headroom is a production of Rainlight and co-produced by our friends at Old Soul. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and this is Headroom.